Good morning. You can turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians. tell you the chapter in a minute, but I was recently on a megachurch's website, and I just looked at the last couple of sermons, the last while, last month or two. These were some of the titles. Recognize who you are. The next sermon, you are going to laugh again. The next sermon, expecting a favor-filled future. The next sermon, stay positive toward yourself. And the last sermon, taking care of yourself. I looked at our website and just looked at the last four or five sermons. And meditated a little bit about some of those, what they were in the last while. If you remember last week, we had Brother James Lonegree preached on rest and any of you here that are in unrest and how he admonished us that if we're in unrest in any way, that we needed to settle it today and not leave until it was settled. The week before that, Brother Bob preached about the fourth God of the Trinity. And he said, we set up an idol in our heart sometimes as the fourth God and we worship it, somehow making it another God. The week before that, Brother Pete Lewis preached on unforgiveness and how that can be so detrimental in our lives if we don't walk in forgiveness. Before that, Brother Roger preached on witchcraft and gave a lot of good things that we need to watch for in our lives. And then before that, I preached on flee from idolatry. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me read it to you in the last part of that verse. Let me read it to you in the New King James Version. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me read it to you in the New American Standard Bible. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me read it to you in the ESV. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me read it to you in the NIV. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, the thought I had and the reason why I told you those sermons versus our sermons is, you know, we might take pride and say, wow, we preach some pretty, you know, go for the juggler sermons. But I'd ask you this question. If you were to check your own life, how are you doing in your relationship with God? Are the sermons we preach really making a difference? Are we becoming doers of the word Versus hears. The title of my sermon is, Do You Really Fear God? This verse here says, 
that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. When's the last time you might ask this self your question this question to yourself? When's the last time you trembled thinking about God? <clears throat> you know, trembling means to shake. It means to shake invol- involuntarily. You know, I remember when I got the news that I had cancer and the fear that came over my body. I still remember the fear that came up from my feet all the way through my body, you know, as I thought about that. You know, you can all sit here today and think, what would it be like to be diagnosed with cancer? And maybe they tell you you're going to die in six months. It's nothing like until you actually hear the words. You know, you can imagine it all day long, but until you hear the words, you're going to die. It's a whole new step to go through. You know, I know some of you, I don't like to fly planes, and I know Dennis will probably laugh at me, but we were in a plane once, and this plane came to land. Some of you were in that plane, and right at the last, right when we were just about to the ground, the thing dropped. I mean, this was a big Boeing. It dropped, and I don't remember how many feet it dropped, but I remember thinking we were dying. And uh, I almost passed out just from the fear of this is it, you know, this plane. And the pilot, you know, he gunned that thing after we dropped out of the out of the sky a little while. He gunned it. So imagine yourself being in a massive Boeing, dropping, and then gunning the, the throttle, the engines. That was a terrifying experience for me. Um, I, I looked over. Stephanie was praying. Other people were crying. So it was serious. I mean, I know some people, they thought it was fun. But for me, I was trembling. That was a very scary experience. When's the last time you trembled? Why is this verse in the New Testament? I thought the New Testament was about, you know, the love of God and um, the grace of God and the kindness of God. And But yet Paul writes to the Philippians to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. What was Paul thinking when he wrote this? What would you think if Brother Mark stood here, came to visit, and he preached, and he said to you, walk every moment of your day with God and do the things he says with fear and trembling. That's what Brother Paul was trying to say to his brothers in the Philippian church. Have you ever trembled at God? Have you ever just thought and thought, what is it going to be like to see God? You know, when, when John saw God in the book of Revelation, it says he collapsed. When Isaiah saw God, he cursed himself. He said, woe to me. And he said, he declared his own sinfulness. When Moses saw God, he said, I exceedingly fear and quake. <clears throat> Job, when he saw God, he said, I've heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself. And repent in dust and ashes. And Jesus himself in the book of Hebrews says this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Jesus himself with strong crying and tears feared God. And it says God heard him because of that. This verse, let's look at it again, Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation. Starts out with the word work. 
you know, and uh, I'd love to sit here and tell you that it doesn't mean work, but guess what? It means work. <laughs> it means to work, to labor, to do work. It means to perform. It means it's a choice you make every day. You have a choice every day. <clears throat> you have a will that you can choose to submit to or not. Notice it goes on and says, work out your own. You know, it's not that brother over there, his salvation, or that sister over there, salvation. But it's your own salvation, which means two things. It's not theirs, and they can't work yours out either. This is between you, and it's between God. You know, we can help. We can we can give you good books to read. We can encourage you. We can give you great verses. But at the end of the day, it's between you and God. <clears throat> Work out your own salvation. What are we being saved from? Is it just hell? Jesus, if you remember, his it said his name. They said he shall save his people from their sin. You know, the Old Testament, they, Old Testament, they already had forgiveness, right? There was lots of laws that were set up to forgive people, but Jesus came to not just forgive, but to save them from their sin. Work out your own salvation with fear. You know, I would love to this morning to tell you that this word fear really doesn't mean fear, and it just means, you know, and it just means maybe reverence and, but you know, it doesn't, the Greek word for fear is phobos. You know what that means? We get our English word phobia. You watch a, I, I knew a grown man once. This man was big, bigger than anybody in this building. Tall, big, burly man from Alaska, logger. He had a phobia of spiders. When he saw a spider, he would run. He would scream. He would jump. They said, they told me a story once. He jumped over a couch to get away from a spider. This massive man. He was fearful of spiders. This word is um, means just literally to fear, to dread, or terror. It's the same word when Paul said, Therefore, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. He was motivated to go out and preach the gospel because he knew the terror of God. It's the same word. When the disciples were out on the on the ship, and you remember the story? You remember the story where a spirit came and that spirit, it says, they exceedingly feared. Can you imagine these grown men? It says they cried out for fear. Can you imagine? You know, you and maybe me and Abe, we're, we're just in a dark attic somewhere and all of a sudden a demon shows up. And like Abe screams, like he'd be a little bit fearful. You know, the feeling of hair standing up on your back. This is the same word. It's a serious thing. Uh, you know, it's funny right now, but when you're in a room alone, in the dark, and a demon shows up, it's a fearful thing. <clears throat> Do we fear God like that? Do we look at God as, like Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill and destroy, throw the soul into hell? Do we fear God like that? <clears throat> Do we really believe, like Jesus said, he will judge every idle word? I read this in a book this last week. It said this, most people underestimate how 
terrifying it will be to see God. Hands down, it will be the most shocking moment of your existence. What do you think you will feel when you see him? Let's keep reading verse 11. We just read, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, sorry, so we just read 12. For it is God's which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. This next verse goes along with the first verse, and it says God is working. This word is energeo. It's the word we get for energy. He is providing energy in your hearts and in your life to do what? Both to will, to conquer your will, to to conquer your desire, to conquer your self-love, and to do, to actually practice the things that he's showing you of his good pleasure, what pleases him. So these two verses put together, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in us, giving us this energy both to conquer our will and to actually do the things that he tells us so that we can please him. So what pleases God? I want to turn back to Genesis chapter 22. I want to look at the story of Abraham and Isaac briefly here. Verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 22, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood. He split the wood for the burnt offering. He rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son... God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Understand the anxiety that must have been present in Abraham. As he bound his son. Think about it. If you woke up in the middle of the night and the Lord told you, maybe some of you that are married, what if God told you this same command toward the precious spouse? The thoughts that would go through your mind. Am I hearing things? Like this must just be made up. God, is this even right? You want me to kill my son? 
Abraham had a choice to complete the task or refuse to comply with what God ordered. He resigned himself to the three and a half day journey and to the loss of his son. He said nothing to Sarah. Think about that. He woke up in the morning, said nothing to Sarah, walks out with the son. He said nothing to Eliezer, his servant, when he gets to that spot. He even said nothing to his own son. What was happening? Who, after all, could understand him? Think about this thing, this command he's bearing in his heart that God has given him. He splits the firewood. He binds up Isaac. He lights the fire and he draws the knife. What's the question? What pleases God? It says in this verse, God gives us both the desire to will and to do of his good pleasure. What pleases God? Here we see for Abraham, it was his only son. Did you happen to notice the very first word, what God said to him? He said, verse 2, and he said, take now thy, thine, take now thy son, thine only son. Did you notice how God repeated himself? Take now your son, Abraham, your only son. Do you notice how God can see this treasure, this thing in Abraham's heart? Notice the posture Abraham was in. He said, God said to him, Abraham. And what did Abraham say? Lord, here I am. How long did Abraham wait for his son? Does anybody know how long he waited? He waited 25 years. Can you imagine if God showed up, gave you a promise, told you you're going to have the son, you waited and you waited and you waited. You know, it's kind of like you don't really know what it's like to have fear of cancer till you have it. You don't really know what it's like to want a son, a child, until you can't have one. And you wait and you wait and you wait. 25 years, finally this son comes and then God tells him to take him up on the mountain and sacrifice it. What is the person or thing in your life? Or maybe it's even yourself. In your heart, that is that Isaac. If your conscience is not hard this morning, God should be doing and saying something to you. There is an Isaac. There is something, your son, your only son. There's something that he has his finger on in your life. Let's look at verse 11 of this chapter, chapter 22. Chapter 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here here am I, again, his posture. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. You know, Abraham could say he feared God all day long, but until he went to do the action was the proof that he really feared God. Abraham 
did not fear God until he was a doer of the word and not just a hearer. God saves us for what purpose? You know, it says in this verse, work out your own salvation. We're saved for a purpose. In 2 Corinthians, God says, I will dwell with them. I will walk with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is God's heart from day one, from before Adam, when he sinned, he walked with Adam. He had fellowship with Adam. He communed with Adam. And that was lost in the fall. And he came to save us, to bring us back to this. We want revival, right? How many of you want revival? How many of you pray for revival? Okay, here's the question. Are you willing to do something? Are you willing to give up something? Like Abraham. Very deep thought. I want to talk a little bit about the wise man and the foolish man. We all know the story. They were both hearers of God's word, of the words of Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, it sounds like, and maybe you would get the impression that, you know, the wise man, he chose some real high up place on a rock somewhere on a mountain. And, and the foolish man built down maybe by the ocean. But when you turn to Luke chapter 6, the very end of the chapter, you get a little bit of a different picture. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Verse 46. Whoso cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he's like. He is like a man. Which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose and the stream beat vehemently beyond the house and could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the streams beat vehemently. Immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So I'm going to draw a little depiction here let's go come a little lower let's imagine that this is sand or dirt doesn't really matter and let's imagine we gave both of the men the same amount of money to build the house. Maybe we give them both $100,000 to build this house. <clears throat> the first one, you know, he was more interested in what his house was going to look like. And, you know, he just built his house, wanted to get it up fast. And so he got going on his house. And he built this, you know, really marvelous, beautiful house. Probably had dormers on it, which I don't know how to draw. But we'll just put some things out. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, we'll put a dormer there. I don't know, but... I'm not an artist. Randy, you should come up and draw. Um, and, you know, he got done and he was really happy and he used his $100,000 really wisely. But the, the wise man, you know, he, it says, 
he didn't just dig. It says he dug deep. You know, so he started he started working through this this um, dirt, this sand, and he started digging and he started digging and he started digging and he started digging and he kept going way down here somewhere was a rock. And he kept going and he kept going and he kept going until finally he got all the way down and he hit a rock. Now, to do that, to dig deep, that's going to take some money. To dig down, it's going to take some money and some time to get down to the rock. You know, he's over here still working on his foundation. He hasn't even barely got this in and the other guy's got his house built. You know, and he's down here on the rock now. And he set up that, and you know, he's done his other one. And he's dug down and created his foundation, and now he builds his house. And let's just imagine his house, you know, it's not a very big house. It's just it's just something simple, a little bit humble, modest. But it works. But it has something that you cannot see underneath. It has a foundation. And I want to liken this this morning to uh, us and our will and being doers of the word. You know, we all have a self. Brother Bob taught it last week. He taught, or the week, the week before, about this fourth God of the Trinity. This idol of self. And imagine this sand for a minute is you. It's your soul. It's your emotions. You know, what? what is your soul made up of? It's made up of, many people say, mind, will, and emotion. So right now, I'm just going to type in, write in intellect. Intellect, I don't know how to spell this word well, but, you know. Um, emotions. And finally, it's made up of your will. If we look at the passage in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice it, Jesus said, many will say to me in that day. What, is, what do they say? Lord, what? Yep, but what, what, what does he first say? Many will say, Lord, Lord. Notice the very first Lord. You know, we can all say today we know Jesus as Lord, right? We can explain him. We know he's the Savior. We know he died. We know he, he's, he's the Son of God. He's the Lord. So we can all explain this with our intellect. We can say, Lord. And we can even get sometimes excited and, and get into our emotions and say, Lord, Lord, you know? This guy, when he cried out on that day, he said, Lord, Lord. He's kind of got into his emotions. But the question we have to ask today is, have we allowed this to come and conquer our will? Because many will say, Lord, Lord, and it will still be this house. They only made it maybe this far. And this is still sand. I think our brother uh, James last week said, what little bit of sand is still between your foundation and the rock? Remember that statement? That's what he was saying. He was saying, have we conquered and allowed our will to be conquered so that we become doers of the word? The foolish man knows when to say amen and when not to. Sometimes it's not good to say it in certain churches, right? He can agree. He can come up afterwards and say, man, that was a convicting sermon. He knows how to argue document, doctrine. 
even in cloud veil chats. I'm looking at Caleb because we had this conversation. There's some, there's some cloud veil chats out there where they spend half the day debating doctrine. And you know, foolish men can do that. I'm not saying they're all foolish, but maybe they are. But, um, but they know how to debate doctrine. They can debate doctrine all day long. You know, the foolish man can explain doctrine. They can teach doctrine. And guess what? They can even preach it. You know, every one of us that preach up here could hear the words on Judgment Day, depart from me. Every one of us. We have the danger of sitting here and preaching. You know, it's easy to prepare a sermon and get excited about it. I mean, it causes you to tremble and you get up and you say the words and you, you get excited. And then it's easy to go right back to your own life. That's why teachers will have the greater judgment because we'll be held accountable for these things. We can condemn others for not doing it. We can attend every Sunday morning service and prayer. You know, we can sing great harmony. We can keep every church standard and end up in hell. Think about that. If we don't allow it to get to our will, this is so important. James says it this way. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Think about that, that we can deceive ourselves. You know, we can, we can, um, pat each other on the backs. We can, and this is my burden. Like I've been lately thinking about, um, I mean, these are just my thoughts and you can take them and do it and you will, but do sermons really help anyway? Like, do they? Maybe they do, but do they really? You know, at the end of the day, what I find is when I sit in the, the sermon and, and somebody's preaching something, a lot of times it's what the Lord's been showing me, right? It starts with that hungry heart. And if you're not seeking the Lord, you'll come, you'll do your time and check the box, sermon's done, and everything's good. Listen to what Paul says. You know, Paul, the great apostle Paul. You know, we would think, you know, he preached all the great things. Turn to... Um, 1 Corinthians. Did Paul fear? Surely Paul would never have any fear. He was always walking with God and, you know, he was, he rebuked Peter for his, his hypocrisy. Remember that? What does Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Why don't somebody read it for me? 27. But I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul, he was worried about after all his great sermons and all his great missionary trips, he could hear the words, depart from me, a castaway? Paul? Wow. He says, I keep my body under subjection. What is that another word for saying? I die to myself. I take up my cross. I say no to my will so that I won't be a castaway in the end. I want you to think about, imagine with me a little bit. Use your imagination. You're you're driving down the road and maybe you're with your girlfriend. Maybe you're with your boyfriend. Maybe you're with um, your family or your friends or your wife or your spouse and you're having a great time, you're chatting. Um, 
you're singing, you're making jokes, maybe you're looking at a video, laughing about something silly, and all of a sudden, with that, in a blink of an eye, before you can even think about it, a car comes out of the lane, out of his lane, because he's looking at his phone, and smashes right into your car. And all you hear is just, you hear this loud sounds and fenders bending and metal. I mean, you were driving 65 miles an hour and so was he. And, you know, everything's black and you can hear your friends or your spouse or your children screaming in agony. (laughs) Even maybe their voices sound like there's blood in their throats and you're sitting there and you can feel the warm sensation of blood coming down your face and you are coming in and out of consciousness. And then you realize this is it. This is all over. Everything is sealed. And you stand before the Lord. You you find yourself standing right before the Lord. And you're sitting there and you're looking into his eyes for the first time. You know? And you're just like maybe some of these other people who collapsed when they saw God or quaked or who knows. What regrets would you have in your life? What things would you say, man, I wish I would have done this. Man, I wish I would have fill in the blank. Man, I wish I would have died to that thing in my life. Man, I wish I would have spent more time with the Lord. What things would you say? It's so easy for us to get caught up in this life and and to not stop and think. And that's what this verse means, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling is supposed to be a wake-up. And did you know it's present tense? Work out your own salvation. It's not something you did once. It's something we constantly do. It's something we constantly think of ourselves someday standing before the Lord. It could be in a minute and it could be in three, 20, 30, 50 years. But we will stand there and we make decisions now because of that day. We, as the Bible says, we redeem the time. This is a wake-up call. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, here's the command, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here's another verse. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, so easily drags us down. So many things, so many weights. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and set down the right hand of God. What things in your life are so easily besetting you? Ask the Lord in the fear of him. Maybe it's research. I was talking to somebody recently and I get in the same thing, but man, we love to research. And pretty soon we notice we are spending way too much on research. You know, I was with my brother-in-law. Uh, I was talking to him the other day and he met a guy that came, was, lives up in Alaska. And um, 
This guy's went up there since 2013. He's living off the grid. He, he sails a sailboat into this river. He then gets in, out into a, 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 a four by, um, a four wheeler and goes way up into the mountains where his cabin is. There's 26 other people living up there. He picked this guy up. He's a hitchhiker. He came into Seattle, you know, with a sailboat, got on a bus and is going to see his grandson who, you know, he hasn't, I don't think he's seen since his daughter since 2013. And he was going on and on about what he believes the mark of the beast is. He, he said, if you calculate all the numbers and you know, six, 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 if you count, it equals WWW. Now we think that's funny, right? We all kind of laugh and we're like, silly. But how much, you know, is this distracting us? WWW. He said he was shocked to come back to America into Seattle and see all of the sin and the filth in just since 2013 till now. Just shocked to see where America's at. And he said, man, you got to get away from your technology. What things are easily besetting you? Maybe it's, um, I have some things written here. Maybe it's, you like to work. I like to work. It's fun. Maybe it's, you honor or you fear or you want to please men. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's goals. Maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's your anxieties and your fears. Maybe some of you older men, it's what uh, others in the church may think of you or some of you younger men. Okay, I'm going to pick on you young men now, so beware. Maybe for some of you young men, it's the next gun you want to buy or an accessory for your gun. I know that seems silly, but it's serious. I mean, it is really serious. Like, take it to the Lord and ask, is this, is this what, is this a tool? Is this what, what God wants in His kingdom? Maybe for some of you ladies, it's your goals that you have. Maybe for some of you young ladies, it's fill in the blank. Uh, how did I write this? I don't want to be thought of as fill in the blank. You know? Fear of man. You know, and our hearts are so deceptive. <laughs> they are so deceptive. Unless in, in, in we are willing to like, for example, if I said, why do you want that thing, whatever it is? If you watch your heart, it's, it'll go through and it'll give all these reasons and excuses in it. But if you really are hungry for God and you, you go to the root of it, you might see it's to keep up with the Joneses, right? It's to keep up with the neighbors. It's to keep up with the other young girls at the church. It's to keep up with the next best gun. You know what? You gotta check your heart on these things. We gotta go to the Lord. David said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I got a little illustration here. Imagine that I told each one of you, I said, I want you all to get in your car right now and go to Florida. I want you to go to 146 East Peach Street. And you can't use a map and you can't use a phone. Just get there. You know how difficult that would be to get there? Find East Petrie. Oh, I never told you the town. We'll just say Sarasota. So imagine you're here in Oregon. And this is way over here. We'll just put up here is Florida, right? I know that's the wrong direction, but use your imagination. <clears throat> and so you need to get from here to there. 
your life, eternal life, David just said in that passage, he said, search me, O God, know my way, try my thoughts, and lead me in the way everlasting. You want everlasting life? You can't get it yourself. You have to be led all the way there. You want to end up with God in the end? Jesus said to himself, he that endures to the end shall be saved. You have to walk through this life. You have to make the right turns at the right places where the Lord shows you to make it all the way to the end. And only Jesus is there to show you how to do that. Lead me in the way of everlasting. So let's imagine you're driving this way and then you get all your focus messed up and you know you start thinking about this and you get over here and pretty soon you find yourself three months later, you're distant from the Lord and you haven't been walking in the fear of the Lord and so you're up here and you're circling around and you know, you're trying to find your way and oh, you finally wake up and I need to get back on my path and you come back down here and you're heading and you know, you make this turn and you come up here and then pretty soon, you know, you get distracted and you're down here and you're making circles around and you know, oh, the Lord wakes you up and you get back on the track. This is what the fear of God needs to do in us and keep us on that track. We need to make it in the way to everlasting. And by constantly keeping our eyes and our focus on the Lord and allowing him to show us when things are uh, not according to his will, when we're not dying, we can stay on this course. But if we're not careful, we'll get off course and we'll be up here. What happens? I don't know. I am not God. But what happens? I beg for his mercy. I pray for his mercy. But when we're off here and... We pray that God will wake us up and bring us back, but how many chances do we want to take with this? We want to stay on the path of everlasting life. That's why the Bible says to examine yourself, whether you be saved. It's something we need to do. Fear should produce in us, let's go back to our, our verse that we opened with. It says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear should be producing in us Daily, thinking about what it's going to be like to stand before God here and affecting our decisions here and keeping us from going down these paths. Fear should be daily teaching us to take up our cross and to deny ourselves. It should be teaching us to crucify the affections and the lusts. It should be Encouraging us, this fear of God should be encouraging us to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It should be motivating us to humble ourselves for the grace that is needed to walk this life out. And it should be producing the faith in us to believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I don't want to end the sermon with fear and doom and everybody's thinking, like, is that all we ever do? But we're told here to fear God. We're told here to tremble. Listen to this balance in Psalms. David says this. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in them that hope in his mercy. Isn't that an interesting dichotomy? The ones that fear him and hope in his mercy. The idea isn't we want to... This message isn't to get you all to go home and say, I'm fearful of God and therefore I have to really, really try to do good things and to, um, to you know, read my Bible every day and all those things. It's more like this. I need to think about what it's going to be like to meet God and then let him work that salvation out in me 
and hope in his mercy to them that fear him and hope in his mercy. It's a mix of both. It's a mix of hope and faith and also fear. Listen to this verse in in Acts. It says this. This was the early church. It said, then the churches had rest. You know, they've been being persecuted. Then they had rest and they were edified. They were built up. And what does it say? They were walking in the fear of the Lord and the, anybody know what it says? Comfort of the Holy Ghost. Think about that. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And then it says, and they were multiplied. We want revival, right? We want to have God move. We want to see hearts multiply. People come to the Lord and really serve him. We have to work in We have to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. How does that work? How do we fear the Lord and hope in his mercy? It's not a cowering fear, but it's a fear that hopes and has faith. A fear that believes in the goodness of God. So here, I'm I'm concluding here. Brother Bob put up there the parable of the four seeds. I have a question for you this morning. I want each one of you to think about it. And that is, which one of the four seeds are you in your walk with the Lord? The fourth seed, it says there were 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The little seed that the Lord planted in their heart, they turned around and made fruit out of that little seed. Some of them were bringing out 30 times, some of them 60 times, and some 100. The third seed, it says, was choked by the anxieties, by the cares, by the fears, by the pleasure for other things. Are you a 30 or 60 or 100 full Christian? And if not, if you're a, if you're the third seed, I say this with love towards you, but I can't guarantee that you'll make it. And the reason I say that is Jesus himself said that the one that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. So as hard as that is for me to say, I'm encouraging us to fear and tremble at God and to think, Lord, am I the fourth seed? Lord, am I a 30-fold, a 60-fold? The Lord has a mercy and he wants to work with us, but we can't take that mercy for granted. God himself says this in Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. To this man will I look. Or another way to say this, this is the man I'm with. This is the man that my countenance is with. Even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. My fear is, as it is with so many, I remember once going out to Idaho and Brother Keith Daniel preached a sermon and it was so convicting. I was 
in tears. And afterwards, I went up to him and I said, thank you for preaching that. And it was so hard for me to see in that moment, everybody just go back to Chipper. How are you doing, brother? It's nice to see you. And it's like it didn't even find a seedbed. I just had to go out to my car and just cry. It was it was so hard. And I remember back when I was in the Baptist church, the same thing. One of the things that I struggled with so much back there was a sermon would be preached and then it was as if it was done. It was as if, thanks, we checked it off. And I don't want your glory. I don't want your praise. What my hope and my burden is, is that we would be doers of the word. Like James says, we wouldn't look in a glass and walk away and forget it. But we remember what Brother Bob preached about the fourth member of the Trinity. We remember what Brother Pete preached about unforgiveness. We'd remember what James Lonerger said last week. If we don't have rest, take care of it today. Because I can go look at that big mega church website and read all those sermons and we can all laugh at that. And I can then look at our sermon and say, wow, we have some deep words, but are they making a difference? Are they really causing us to be doers of the word? And only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you because it's your own salvation, right? It's I can't save you. Each one has to go to God himself. I hope this isn't condemning. Um, it's my burden that, and I feel as though to have real revival, we have to have real honest look at ourselves. And we have to honestly bring it under and say, Lord, if the Lord doesn't condemn you, then amen. If the Lord says everything's great, then amen. I'm not your judge. But if if there's something in your heart this morning that you're saying, yeah, I can see that Isaac. I can see that thing that is above you, Lord, and it needs to be put to death. Then my 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 prayer and my burden is don't leave here and forget it. Go home and think about it this week. Think about the fear of God. Think about trembling in his presence. Think about what it's going to be like. If you at least do it two or three times this week, think about some time this week what it's going to be like to stand before the Lord and what regrets will you have and what things will you want to change in your life. Thank you.